Father, we just thank you so much, Lord, uh, for this time that we have together to look inside your Torah and to learn of your truths. I pray, Father, that you would be with us tonight, that your spirit would be in our midst, that you would guide us and lead our conversation. We ask that you would be glorified and that you would reveal to us your mysteries. We thank you for your goodness and your kindness. We thank you for revealing yourself to us. Um, and we just humble ourselves before your Torah, before your teachings, and ask that you would renew our minds and direct our steps as we seek to follow your ways. And we ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Okay. All right, Gidon, do you want to start here? Oh, okay. <laughs> what do I have to say? <laughs> um, I, I, I taught about three months ago. Uh, to this group. How many people were at that group touching? Oh, well, most of you. Okay, so for those of you who uh, don't know me, I'll give a short introduction. I was born in New York, in case nobody recognized my accent, and uh, I uh, grew up not uh, an uh, Orthodox Jew like most of the my uh, friends who went to the uh, Orthodox day school that we all went to. That's the way it was back then. Uh, in fifth grade, I went to uh, my family took me out. My parents took me out of my uh, Orthodox Jewish day school and put me into the public school, probably for financial reasons. And that shocked me enough to say I want to focus more on my Jewish identity. And uh, so I made a decision at 11 or 12 years old to say, okay, I'm going to be more religious than my than the people around me. And uh, when I went back to the Jewish day school in sixth grade, I was uh, lucky to be introduced to a Jewish youth movement called Bnei Akiva that uh, um, advanced and promoted the values of loving the God of Israel, the Torah of Israel, the people of Israel, the land of Israel, and the state of Israel. And uh, it was very exciting. First of all, of course, the God of Israel was something that at that age people who were starting start thinking, wow, God, you know, so God. Uh, and so that, that's the overarching value. The Torah of Israel, I guess I don't have to talk too much about that here. That's what you guys do every week. The idea of learning the Torah was uh, something very exciting, if I don't have to tell you, like I said. Uh, but most of the kids in fifth grade couldn't care too much about that anyway. But I started caring about it, and, and more and more, as I'll say in a few moments. Uh, the people of Israel are like a family. And so it wasn't just uh, our community where, you know, I went to that synagogue and some people went to the other one and, and uh, your friends and that's it. It was the whole idea of the Jewish people all around the world, all throughout history. One big nation, one big uh, people of Israel, people, people, uh, yeah, Am Yisrael, and all of this connecting to the land of Israel, which I had never been to, but uh, I was taught how important the land of Israel was, and anybody who's read through the Torah, certainly through the whole Bible. And frankly, I think through the, the New Testament also, it's like on every page. I mean, it all takes place over there. So much so that the uh, sages say that prophecy is only possible in the land of Israel. And then they ask, other sages ask the sages who said that, 
Uh, Ezekiel prophesied on the river Kvar in Tel Aviv, not in the Tel Aviv that we know, but in Babylonia, where he was exiled together with So the answer is either in the land or regarding the land. So that's it. Everything has to do with the land of Israel. So I had never been there, and I was so excited to get there. Another important thing was that this Zionist, religious Zionist youth movement promoted Zionism, which means support for the state of Israel. And that was something really crazy. Today, the state is already 72 years old, uh, older than most of the people in this room. <laughs> and uh, in, in, But back then, it was like barely 30 years old, and it was like just growing up, and, and uh, my mother would tell about how she had something to do with founding the state of Israel, like she uh, collected money on the subway or something like that. My father was a Holocaust survivor from Hungary, he ended up going to the land of Israel just before the state was founded. He was um, captured, his boat was captured by the British mandate. They pulled him to Cyprus. He lived in Cyprus for a couple of years. Then he made it to Israel. Amazing stories and I, that I barely knew back then. I was too busy watching Saturday morning cartoons or something. But uh, when, when I just became so much in love with these values that in ninth grade, I was in a high school that wasn't so good, a Jewish high school. My parents and I decided to sit down and discuss what I would do for 10th grade, and they asked, would you like to go to Israel? And I jumped at the chance, and I've been there ever since. That was like 40 years ago or something like that. And I finished high school over there in Israel, uh, the, where the uh, yeshiva, which means uh, Advanced Jewish Studies Academy, was so much more advanced than it was in the United States, and uh, I got to see people in my uh, grade in high school. Today, they are some of the greatest uh, heads of yeshivas in all of Israel. Uh, so, and we would like get up at like 7 o'clock in the morning, and in high school, uh, study in the morning Torah until about 1, then do high school, you know, math, English, stuff like that, until about 5. And then another two hours of Torah until about seven. And then after the after high school, I went to the army, and I did an army program called Hezder, which is an arrangement. Instead of doing three years of army, you do five years of army. But instead of doing three years of military service, you only do a year and a half. And the other three and a half years, you're in yeshiva. And you don't have to do English and math anymore. So you get up at seven o'clock in the morning, and you, and you learn Torah all morning long, and then you have a little break for lunch and, and afternoon prayer, maybe a, a little nap, and then you learn more until about 6, then you'll learn until 10, 10.30. So you're up, like, how much is that, from 7 in the morning till 10.30 at night? That's uh, 15 hours. And then after you come back, and in those days I went, uh, they split up our army service to like uh, 9 months and 6 months, something like that. So after I finished my 9 months, I came back, and I, I felt all big, wow. I studied until 10 p.m. But then when I got back from the army where we, where we learned to survive on like five hours of sleep a night or something like that, then I got back to the yeshiva and said, okay, 10 o'clock, what else am I going to do? So I ended up coaching up to 11 o'clock and 12 o'clock. And so for like 10 years I was studying uh, God's Torah. And you guys do it for like an hour or two a week. Imagine doing it almost 24-7 It was for, for like seven years straight. It was just incredible, just incredible. 
Uh, and uh, I'll fast forward that uh, I was mentioning I have five children, two, two boys and three girls. Uh, three of them are married, and uh, my boys and my son-in-law all studied in the yeshiva like that, like, like, like I did. None of them studied in my alma mater, but uh, um, I'm a liberal. They can do whatever they want. So that's why two of my kids are more religious than I am. Actually, they all are, but whatever. <laughs> um, it, when I was on a break, uh, I don't remember if it was during yeshiva time or during the army time, I was walking through Jerusalem, and I saw across the street a sign on an apartment and I crossed the street in order to read that sign because that's my hobby, to read the signs in Jerusalem. You know, you can get a degree in Jewish history just by reading the street signs in Jerusalem. And this sign was not a street sign. It said ICEJ, which is the International Christian Embassy Jerusalem. So I was intrigued because I said, what, what is Christian and embassy have to do with Jerusalem? Because... Embassy, the idea of an embassy means a, a, a friendly place, friend, friendly. But Christian and Jerusalem or Israel or, or Jews, Christians aren't friendly to Jews. That's what we learned in elementary school. We didn't learn it. We didn't have like a, a class of, okay, the, today, third period, we're going to learn how much the Christians hate us. We, we, we did study history, so we do know Jewish history, and a lot of Jewish history is the history of how uh, Christians persecuted uh, Jews. And of course, my whole uh, school body, our parents, most of them, were Holocaust survivors. So we all know about the, the, the Holocaust, those of us whose parents couldn't stop talking about it, and those of us whose parents never talked about it. It, uh, it didn't make that much of a difference. And uh, we learned a little bit about everything else. And, and even without learning, it's just in the DNA of Jews. But here were Christians who were sincerely extending a hand in friendship and wanting, for whatever reason, to be friends with Jews. And I guess I'm a friendly kind of guy, so it, it, that appealed to me. So that intrigued me, as I said, and I started learning more and more about this. Not only ICJ, there are other organizations in Jerusalem, like Bridges for Peace, or Christian Friends of Israel. And that was like 30 years ago. And I just more and more got more and more into this kind of stuff. And uh, to, about five years ago, after, when I was uh, addressing a group in Jerusalem, like now, I shared with them, it was a group that I would, I would address frequently, like once or twice a year. I shared with them that I had this idea to teach Torah online. So instead of having to wait once or twice a year to teach people for an hour at night after they had a full day of touring in Jerusalem and everybody's going like this, I say, I'll go online. Anybody wants to pay me to, to teach? Hopefully five people, ten people, whatever. I'll figure something out. Sounds like fun. So I, so I told the group, I want to have an online yeshiva for Christians. And everybody gasped and said, hallelujah. <laughs> and one of those people in the group came up to me and said, I want to be your first student. And ultimately, he became my partner. His name is Bob O'Dell, who's from uh, Austin. And together, we uh, established Root Source. There's the roll-up that we made. It's pretty nice. Uh, with uh, one of the slogans. More and more, today, more and more Christians and Jews are hearing the divine call to wake up and engage with one another. Root Source is answering that call. Root Source teaches Christians biblical roots. Knowledgeable Orthodox Israeli Jews teaching Christians around the world online about Jewish concepts, ideas, and thought to more deeply understand the roots of their faith in an informal and loving manner.
That is a <laughs> root source. And uh, it's been a, quite a while ride because we uh, recruited about another half dozen teachers, friends of mine from Israel who I'd started in yeshiva with and uh, neighbors with. And very quickly we grew to like thousands and even tens of thousands of Christians around the world who were interested in this kind of stuff. And we made it up to close to 50,000 people who had been subscribing to our free newsletter, about 500 people who had been, who had been uh, um, subscribing to our paid content. And uh, the more that happened, the more I met more and more people said, yes, please, I want to I want to learn. I want to and so that's what I'm doing. And uh, now there's more and more uh, Israeli Orthodox Jews who are coming to this uh, realization. But it's still like a handful of, of, of people. But uh, like I said, I came to, to Texas, was very graciously welcomed by people just like you guys, including you guys. And uh, I do what I like to do, which is which is talk about Torah and uh, answer any kind of questions that people might have. And uh, wonderful uh, relationships are being uh, built. The, the, the walls are being broken down little by little. Some of you here might remember that, uh, what was that? The, the Berlin Wall falling. That was like, uh, I don't know, about 30 years ago or something like that. It was like from nowhere. For 50 years, we had this Berlin Wall and and the the Cold War, and then within a few weeks, boom, it's gone. That's the way it was, and that might be the way that it is over here. We've had, but it wasn't for 50 years. It was for 2,000 years. The walls between between uh, Christians and Jews, but uh, as uh, God wrote in Scripture, "Biita achishena," which means in its time, I will make it come quickly. And uh, that's what I believe we're seeing with the state of Israel. That we, we had a, a pretty horrific, depending on, on what perspective you look, of Jewish history, of persecution, persecution, exile, exile, assimilation, assimilation, um, uh, atheization, athe whatever, you know, people losing religion, until the Holocaust, and boom, then we lost a third of our, our, of our populace. Nobody in the world, it was crazy, crazy. Nobody in the world, not a single country in the world, was willing to take in Jews in 1939. There was a boat, I don't know if some of you might know this, there were a few boats, but one that I remember, I think they made a movie about, I think it was called Ulua or something like that, they, it, that it went from port to port, said, listen, we escaped Nazi Germany, we're looking for a place to live. No, no, you can't come in here. Can't come in here. It was it was in the high seas between Cuba and Florida, and they wouldn't let them into the United States either. And that was it. And so that was a you know anybody heard that kind of story and, and lived it said okay so that was the idea why political modern Zionism was established. Uh, Theodore Herzl was a journalist. He went to follow the um, Dreyfus case story in France. Dreyfus was a, uh, a French officer in the army who was accused of being a spy. That ended up being not true. Uh, and, and he was sentenced, I don't remember, to death or to, or to uh, jail, whatever he was. And when they announced the, uh, and, and Theodore Herzl was there, you know, reporting, it was an important case evidently, 
when they announced the the um, that he was that he was guilty, the crowd didn't shout death to traitors. The crowd shouted death to Jews. So Theodore Herzl was a Jew himself. He was an assimilated Jew. But he said, my God, what's going on? What do I have to do with this with this guy? So that's how he said the only thing we can do is, is to not be at the at the uh, mercies of whatever uh, country that we happen to be in. Because <laughs> virtually every country took us in, enjoyed us for a while, and after a while decided to kick us out or worse. So he said, we got to create our own state of Israel. It wasn't called Israel then. We have to create the own Jewish state. And he quickly, uh, he, he became like a man with a mission. He uh, put together the first Zionist Congress in 1987 in Basel, Switzerland. And uh, there was like 200 delegates from all over the world, Jewish people mostly, a few Christians, uh, Zionists, who were also excited about this idea. I don't have to tell you why, they read their Bible. And, uh, and he wrote in his diary, famously, he said, um, I'm here at the first Zionist Congress, people think that I'm crazy. But I have to tell you that in five years, certainly in 50 years, everybody is going to recognize that I was right. There will be a Jewish state. He did that in 1897. 50 years later was 1947, 1948. In other words, he prophesied in his diary that uh, there will be a Jewish state. In 50 years, which you, you could say crazy. What are you doing? And then in between there was the Holocaust, so it looked, couldn't get any worse. And like in three years, boom, we went from from Holocaust to to uh, Sulik, the guy with a with a um, a pitchfork in one hand, a rake, and, a, and, an, and an Uzi gun, and winning the Six Day War. You know, like the, anyway, this is the kind of stuff. I, I I came of age, came of age. I was 15 years old, like. Ten years after the 1967 war, and I had, I, we had come up, in those days it was cool to, to love Israel, and wow, Israel's so cool, they beat all their enemies, you know, a real uh, Superman story. By the way, you know that Superman was a creation of uh, Jewish uh, comic strip writers. What were, the, what were the name of those, of the, who created Superman? I forget. Uh, who remembers? Marvel, yeah, but who are the guys who did it? La uh, Hashuv. He, he came, he, his, what was Superman's, not kryptonite name, what was his name in, in the language? Clark uh, Kent was an American name. But where he came from another planet, his name was Cal El. So what does Cal El mean? It means God. So in other words, that's what the that's what the that's what they came from. That's what they, that's our story, and we stick it to it. Anyway, the, the 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 state of Israel today, I believe, I believe this is my thesis of what I see, has empowered Jews incredibly, and Jews now can try to do things which they've never done before. And I think that one of those things is interacting with Christians because Jews have always been afraid of Christians always from about 300 that's plenty of always uh, that either they would kill them they would kill us like they did in the Crusades and in the and in the Inquisition 
and, and who knows when else, and in the Holocaust. And, or they would uh, um, either force or try to convince us to uh, convert to the Christian religion, which ultimately comes out to be the same thing. In other words, if somebody uh, introduces me, oh, you know, my great-grandmother were Jewish. Yeah. Well, she intermarried, and then all of her kids married Christians, and all of their kids married Christians, and so on. I'm like 116th Jewish. Okay, how, what kind of a Jew is that? Well, I'm a Christian, but I got some DNA or something like that. Well, imagine if the entire Jewish people were made up of 116th Jews. Uh, if I were a 116th Jew, I don't think I'd be sitting here telling my story or teaching a Torah. And so that is why the Jews were, were worried about that. And especially if you're, you know, here in, in Dallas, how many people live in the, in the Dallas area, Dallas metropolitan area? About the 15 million people or something yeah. like that. And there's about, I would uh, guess, about, about 5,000 Orthodox Jews who live here in, uh, in the Dallas area. And let's say, uh, more Jews, let's say 50,000 Jews. I might be off by 50,000. But, uh, but if you've got 15 million non-Jews, especially the Fabrent Christians that we have over here, Fabrent means on fire. <laughs> and... Uh, and and so if you're if you're not holding tight, you're going to be whisked away like in a, in a hurricane or something like that. So that is the way the Jews were in all of the places where they were minorities. But here we are, nine million people living in Israel, eight million or six million of them, seven million of them are Jewish, that of all different flavors, and we're fighting it out like a good family knows how to do. <laughs> Just, Anybody been to a Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner? You know that. And uh, and and we're uh, we're getting there. So I think that people like me are going to get more and more. Oh, this is interesting. Especially when I point out, it doesn't take a lot to point out to people and say, look, it says in the Bible that the Jews are supposed to teach the whole world about the God of Israel. It says right there, The Torah will come out of Israel. Well, it's going to come out because the, the the nations are asking for it from us. What are you going to do about that? Oh, what do you know? Well, okay, all right, I'll teach food source. So that's my that's my hope that uh, this coming year I'll be able to recruit another dozen teachers and another fifty thousand students, and uh, we'll see how it'll expand. Because I really believe that that uh, that right now I'm one of a handful of people, like I said, who who are trying to do this, trying to to uh, fill the thirst of the thousands and hundreds of thousands of people uh, who, who are thirsty for God's word. Uh, the authentic word that was carried at, down generation to generation way back from Moses, here's a chance to learn the Torah that Jesus learned from a person who learned from a teacher, a teacher who learned from a teacher who learned in Jesus' time the same Torah that Jesus learned. That's, that's the way I see it. And so I'm excited, as you might be able to see, I'm excited to share the Torah, and I'm excited to share the Torah with Christians who have that mindset and, and who are uh, excited to learn from me what I have to share. And that was my two-minute introduction. <laughs> <laughs> 
verse that came to mind as Gadon was talking about um, how in these days that we're living in are very unique. Um, and so um, in Isaiah chapter 2, um, the prophet says this, <clears throat> verse 2, it says, In the end times, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established as the most important mountain. It will be regarded more highly than the other hills. And all the Gentiles, all the nations will stream there. Many peoples will go and say, come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob or Jacob. He will teach us about his ways and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion will go forth Torah, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And so this idea of us from the nations having this hunger and this desire to understand the Torah, God's Torah, God's ways is something that was prophesied so long ago that would happen in these last days. And just as Gadon, and he's getting this enlightenment that we're to teach the Torah to the nations, and the nations, the Christians, are saying, we want to learn the Torah. Like, this is God's timing of bringing this all together. And here it is prophesied um, in Isaiah. So we're living in those days, the last days. That's what it's saying, and that's where we are. Hi, guys. This is Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah 2. If you guys have a Bible, I would just like to point out something that is very important to me. And that is pronouns. (laughs) Um, You read uh, in verse 3, and many nations will go and they will say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of God, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us from his ways, and we will go in his ways. Something like that, right? So you heard the he and his here a few times. So who is the he and the his that the verse is referring to? My question, who wants to share that? Huh? Pardon me? You would think. Oh, the house of Jacob. In other words, it might also be Jacob. In other words, you could read this verse, and I'm going to try to replace the pronouns with the noun that it is a sense of, that I'm proposing, that it uh, refers to. And they will, uh, again, and many nations will go, and they will say, come, let's go up to the mountain of God, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he, Jacob, will teach us from his God's ways. In other words, the the he the, the two pronouns he there or his don't necessarily have to refer to the same person I'm proposing. Or you could say, and he God will teach us of his ways, God's ways. In which case uh, you don't really need Jewish people anymore because God is going to be able to do it directly. But I, I don't, I don't think that that's shot. That's that's the simple meaning because I don't think that Isaiah, who's a uh, prophet of consolation, uh, is going to say, "Well, guess what?" In the end, and, and of course, it's, we don't have to go look far. It's all over the Bible that that's not going to happen. So. What is going to be the place, the the, the, the task, um, the part of the Jewish people, of the people of Jacob here? It's, that's that's where I read it, and so that's. Uh, and I would say it's a yes and a yes. 
I would say it's sure. the people of Jacob, and I also would say it's Adonai. Because if you go to Isaiah chapter 30, 30. Yeah. Yes. This is the Holy One of Israel speaking. What verse? Um, chapter 30, verses start at 19. 19. We'll start at 18. It says, Adonai is just waiting to show you favor. He will have pity on you from on high, for the Adonai is a God of justice. Happy are all who wait for him. People in Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. At the sound of your cry, he will show you his grace. On hearing it, he will answer you. Though Adonai may give you but bread. Read a little slower. <laughs> Though Adonai may give you but bread and water, and not very much at that, your teacher will no longer hide himself. But with your own eyes, you will see your teacher. With your ears, you will hear a word from behind you. This is the way. Stay on it, whether you go to the right or to the left. Mm-hmm. And so as I read that, I see that as... You know, we understand that to be the Holy Spirit. We understand that to be Yeshua, our rabbi, saying, this is the way, mm-hmm. walking it. And so I see this as the Lord, Adonai, also teaching us the way. When you talk about the way, you're talking about Torah. Because Torah means the, way. means the way, the way of God. And so here, God is saying, I'm going to be your teacher. I'm going to show you this is the way, walking it. So I think it's both. I think that God is raising up the, the, the house of Jacob to, to do what they have been destined to do, which is to share Torah and proclaim it in Mount Zion. And also God himself said, I will be your teacher. And I will say to you, this is, I'm not going to hide myself from you. This is the way walking it. And so I think it's a yes and yes. Beautiful. Okay. So thank you. Um, so I think what we'll do now is we'll we'll go to Exodus chapter one, and if you don't mind, Gidon, could you do the blessing for the Torah reading? One second. Exodus one. So the uh, lessons from the for the Torah. Or just as we begin to study the Torah, isn't there a blessing that you Of course say? there is. Okay, I thought there was. Um, <laughs> except that uh, uh, we start learning Torah in the morning when we get up, and that's okay. when we say the blessing. Okay. And I don't, I, 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 don't yeah. us so I don't, but... but um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I will uh, share that blessing with you, if I can find it. One second. Sorry to put you on the spot. Mm. I like that kind of Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has commanded who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to uh, busy ourselves with words of Torah. And let those words of Torah be sweet for us, O God, O Lord our God. Let them be sweet in our mouths and in the mouths of our uh, of your entire nation, Israel. And may we and our children and our children's children and the children of all of your nation, the house of Israel, may we all know your name and may we all be learners of your Torah for its sake. Blessed art thou who teaches Torah to his nation Israel. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has 
chosen us from all of the nations and has given us his Torah. Blessed art thou who gives the Torah. And those are the blessings, and immediately upon making a blessing, we we do something like it. When you make a blessing on an apple, you immediately eat the apple, so we're immediately going to learn a bit of Torah, which we'll learn a lot of, but uh, I cannot say that the the uh, sort the, the the passage that is said right after that is the Aaronic blessing. And God spoke to Moses saying, Speak unto Aaron and all of his and his sons, saying, This is the way you will bless Israel. Tell them, May God bless you and uh, guard over you. May he light his face towards you and have grace upon you, and may he lift up his face towards you and may he give you peace. Thank you. Is it possible? Because I'm sure you were translating what you were reading from God. But I would love a copy of that. Sure. Is it possible? Sure. What I'm going to ask you to do, and anybody, uh, to, to make notes what you want from me and send them in, and so then I'll be able to get into them. So because I don't want to interrupt the, the flow, so make a little note for yourself. And I'm only too ecstatic to respond to emails that anybody sends me. So please do so. <laughs> okay, so we are in the book of Exodus, Shemot, in Hebrew. Okay, so we finished the book of Bereshit, or Genesis, last week, which is very exciting. Um, so the book of Genesis ends with Joseph dying and him asking um, his descendants to remember that God will remember them. Because basically what was happening is that um, the people of Israel, they are now going to be in Egypt for a total of 400 years. Okay, So Joseph is telling his descendants that don't lose heart, God will remember you. Okay, and this was what God had promised to um, Abraham, and Abraham, when we read that in chapter 15, God told Abraham that your, your descendants are going to be slaves in Egypt for over 400 years, but I'm going to remember you, and I'm going to make, you're going to leave with, with lots of wealth. Okay, and so God made this promise to Abraham, and it was reaffirmed with Isaac and to Jacob, and now we here have Jacob's son Joseph that is passing on this encouragement to the people as he passes on in his life to remember that you're going to be slave, but God will remember you. And, and to remember in Hebrew doesn't mean that God will suddenly just it will come to your mind. Remember, and every Hebrew word has action. So God, to remember means he's going to act upon what he spoke, what he promised. Okay, so God promised that he would deliver the people out in a great deliverance. And so God will remember the people. And so that was the encouragement. And so we begin now the book of Exodus. Um, do you yes. want to start anything in Exodus, or um, or do you just do you want to just jump in as I yeah as I talk that, and, that makes sense okay yeah. great so if, and if I if I see you shaking your head no like this then you <laughs> say, say something you'll you'll notice <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah Morgan's got it yeah yeah okay. <laughs> no pressure no pressure. Hey, the numbers are moving. Okay, so the book of Exodus opens with the names of Israel or Jacob's sons who came to Egypt. And I love how it names each and every one of them because it tells us that while in Egypt, they still remained, they knew their identity and they remained 
very much God's people. And this is what Gedeon was referencing. Like anywhere the Jewish people are in the world, it is so important for them to, re- to keep their identity, to guard the Torah, to guard the ways of God. Because like he said, if you, it's so easy to assimilate into the culture. And that's what every um, nation that has tried to stop the growth of God's people has tried to either assimilate or annihilate them. And that's been the history throughout all the time. And why is that? It's because in the very beginning, when God chose a people, he promised that from Abraham's seed, a blessing would come for the, to the whole world. And that his seed is the seed of the Messiah. And so that, that it was so important for, for God's people to guard the Torah, to, guard the, to, to follow God's commands and circumcision, and to keep the Sabbath, and to do all of these things, because that that was their identity, and it was all because of God's promise, of the promised seed that would come one day and bless all of the nations. And so it's vital that they, they keep their identity. Um, and so I love how that the book opens with naming each of the sons of Israel. Uh, uh, um, a commentary, the most famous commentary on the, on the Torah is Rashi. Rashi stands for Rabbi Shlomo Yitzchaki. And he lived in France, oh gosh, probably about 900,000 years ago, something like that. And every, every school kid studies Torah with Rashi. And what he mostly did is he would collect uh, uh, commentaries from many, many different commentaries from before him. And so it was like an anthology of, of commentaries. One of the ones that I remember is that uh, a number of times in the Bible, in Exodus, Leviticus, uh, the tribes, the 12 tribes, are listed. And especially the book of Numbers, uh, it, that's the book of counting. And the, there he says, also in the beginning, over there they, uh, they count the people, because they say, when you love something, you count it a lot. You want to always take a look, is it still there? Check what's in your pocket. So God loved the Jewish people and mitoch she'echibatam mena'am tadir. I think that's the, the quote. Uh, since he loved them so much, he counted them frequently. Like you, you can imagine, uh, I bet there's some people here who've got a lot of kids. When you're walking in the street, is it all here? Is it all here? Is it all here? <laughs> Yeah, and then I think I had something else I wanted to say, but I forgot it. What a surprise. So uh, we can continue on. And if anybody has any questions, thou shalt not be uh, shy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Okay, so we learned that Joseph dies, all of his brothers die, and so that whole generation passes away. And we know that a new pharaoh now comes and doesn't remember Joseph and his family and what was promised and what, how Joseph contributed. And so Israel begins to grow in number and becomes this mighty nation. The uh, Another, I really should bring over Rashi next time. Mm-hmm. Another famous uh, quote from Rashi is uh, verse uh, 8. And a new king came up upon Egypt who did not know Joseph. So Rav and Shmuel, two rabbis, uh, a little while after um, Jesus' time, I think, uh, uh, disagreed what this verse means. What does that mean? A new king. So one said, a new king. He was, you know, he was a couple of generations. One, two, three, some number of generations. 
after the king in the time of Joseph. But the other said, It wasn't a new king, it was a king with new decrees. In other words, this was, this was the king that Joseph saved his, saved his whole kingdom. It would have been for Joseph. Uh, Egypt would have been in the dustbin of history already then. But Joseph died, and a little while later, boom, now it's time to, to start persecuting Joseph's family. Interesting. Well, we know it was not a good situation for the people of Israel. Um, and I, I like, as I was studying this portion, I, some of the things that God was showing me that I feel like we need to focus in on as we go through this is, obviously Moses was chosen as the deliverer. Um, and so some of the things that we'll read as we go through this, um, here in this um, lot of the verses 15 through the end of Genesis chapter 1, we meet two um, Hebrew midwives. And one of the midwives' name is um, Shifra. Mm -hmm. Is that how you say Shifra? Well, and I, I saw this word and it reminded me because it shares a root with another word, um, Shofar. Mm. Okay? Um, and the Shofar is really significant because the shofar is the sound of God's deliverance, okay? And the root word that shofar and shifra share, the root word means beautiful or to make beautiful, okay? And there's something about the shofar that is connected to this idea of birthing, okay? Because what shifra was there doing is she was she was the midwife. She was helping bring life to the, um, the Hebrew children, the babies, um, and, and, and she was making the world beautiful by bringing the life. And she was charged by the Pharaoh to murder the boys, but to keep the girls. But she didn't follow that command. Um, but she basically was, she, it says that, that she was made founders of families. That what she was doing was establishing God's people. And she was doing something very beautiful. Um, but the word, um, that word beautiful, that root word, it's like the capacity to make something better or to improve its quality. To enhance. To enhance, okay? And that's Today what in modern Hebrew, the um, if you look at the ingredients, it says mishapretam, which means flavor enhancers. Okay. So uh, even even till today, we're already learning Russian. <laughs> so uh, that's that's shipur. Shippur. And so that word, um, Shippur, Shofar, and then also the, the Hebrew word Shofet, which means judge. But it means, that word Shofet also means deliverer. So you have this idea of a judge who is also a savior. And this is what, essentially, what Moses is tasked to do as he becomes the judge of the, the people of Israel. But, so I think of um, Shofet, Shofar, and Shifra. And I think this is really the theme of what's happening in these first six chapters. I'm interested, I'm intrigued. You, you uh, woke me up a little bit when you, when you compared, when you related Shofar to Shofet. Mm -hmm. Because the, what they have in common are the two letters of Shin and Pei, the Shif. Mm -hmm. Because Rash and Tet, that's, uh, there's not much to, to get with them. But I wonder the uh, uh, the idea that every Hebrew word and many Hebrew words have a three-letter root, and some say that there are some that have two-letter roots. So, so two words that share two out of three of the letters can be related somehow. 
And then there's also different letters are related, like Tet and Resh aren't really related, but Tet and Dalid are, for example, because the Tet is like the letter T, and everybody is now doing the same thing. That's how you make the T's with your tongue up at the top and no um, guttural uh, sounding, no, no, no vocalization. But if you do add some vocalization to a, D, a T, then it becomes a D. Agree? And that, that's also related to the, the TH and a few other things. But Resh is back here. It's related to a, 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 a Gimel, a G. Or it's a little harder in English uh, way than American, but in, in Hebrew we can tell the difference between Ayin and Resh and Rimel. They all come from, from the back. And, but Tet is from the beginning, so it's two separate uh, uh, um, letter families. But what they do, uh, I was wondering, what does the Shin Pei mean and can you connect it to both? Sure. Yeah, I can't well, I think both of those letters are going to play a role in tonight. Ooh, okay. So I think that's both. Mm -hmm. I'm going to grab my shofar really quickly and do just a tiny little, for those of you who haven't seen one, uh -huh. mm -hmm. just a tiny little mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just had a feeling it wasn't going to be a tiny little. <laughs> well, it's a tiny little teaching on the shofar <laughs> because as we bring these connections in here. So this is my shofar. There's some that look different, some smaller, some bigger. Um, but I Most think, small. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but I think the shofar, and a lot of you have heard this before, but I think it's worth repeating tonight, um, is that there's so much we can learn about the shape of the shofar and even how it is constructed. Um, and so the, the curves of the shofar are really to remind us of humility. Okay, and so just think of that. Um, the way that they make a shofar is they first have to pierce, and this is an animal's form. Okay. They have to pierce the, the opening, okay, and then they have to clean out all of the inside. All right, and then that becomes the hollow it. They hollow it out and then clean it all out. And then that provides space for the breath, um, or the Hebrew word for breath is the ruach, to blow through the shofar. Now, the shofar is so significant in the Bible because we see the shofar used in many places, but it's basically synonymous with. God's voice, okay? Because when we hear the shofar blast, we know that God is going to bring about deliverance. There are many uses for the shofar blast, but I want you guys to remember the story of Joshua walking around the wall of Jericho. What are they doing? They're blowing the shofar. At that last blast, the walls come tumbling down, and they go into the city. Okay, it's God's sound of deliverance. Um, but, the, but I want you to see that this is an example of, or a, a, a picture of how we are to be before God. That as we read the words of Torah, that the words should pierce our hearts. And that all the junk and all the flesh and all the things inside of us need to be hollowed out. And it needs to make space for the breath, for the ruach, or the spirit. The same word for ruach is also spirit in Hebrew. The spirit of God to blow through us so that we also become a sound of deliverance for other people. Okay, this is how we can, the, the Bible says, or Yeshua says the two greatest commandments are to love God and to love your neighbor. And, the, and, and so how do we love our neighbor but to become this, this shofar of deliverance 
this way to help them out of dark places, to be a light, to, to bring them out of darkness into light. And so I think that Shifra in, in this story in um, Exodus chapter 1 is that she is like the shofar here. And this is the birth canal. Do you see this? And it is, it's going through the birth canal, bringing into new life. Okay, and that's how you see this connection here. Um, but she was a sound of deliverance. And the Bible speaks about God is our shofar of deliverance in the Psalms. He's the horn of our salvation. Whenever um, Yeshua is brought to the temple, according to the commandments by his mother and father, Miriam and Yosef, when he goes to the temple, there's actually a prophecy that, that the man who's at the temple says, this is the shofar of our deliverance. And so Yeshua, we understand and believe, was that prophesied deliverer. Okay, and so Moses, therefore, is a, as, as he's been chosen as God's anointed deliverer, as we read through the book of Exodus, he is a type and a shadow, we believe as Christians, of the coming deliverer, Yeshua, the Messiah, who would deliver us out of our sin. Okay, and so well, as we go through this, we're going to see um, some of these parallels of Moses and Yeshua, our deliverer. So, I was just, I, I gave some thought, and just as you were explaining about the Ruach, the, the, uh, the spirit and the wind, the blowing, it's exactly when the word uh, that reminded me of the two-letter root of Shofar, the Shin Pei, uh, is from uh, Nishifa, yes, that was which means to blow. To blow. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you blow out, when you ex exhale, it's called a Nishifa. And an inhale is called a nishima. And nishima comes from the same root, is very related to nishama, which is soul. So uh, blow, you're blowing out the ruach and you're, and you're breathing in the soul. Do it that way, you will. And, and, and also, that same Hebrew word is the word used when God blew his breath into Adam and created. Uh, by, mm, can you can you check to I see? Can check. I don't think so. I remember by Pachbo. One, but one second, let's, let's see. Uh, where, 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 where? It's in Genesis chapter two. Yep. Is that word um, connected to the word shin for me? Nishima? Well, I like to think that it is. It has shin in it. But if you if you see what he's talking about, the breath, and I think it's the word used in Genesis for when God breathed life into Adam. Maybe not, we'll see. Oh, okay. But if it is, it's this idea that, you know, God's name is in his breath. As we think of the Shem, which means name and keep How do you say it? Is it Nish? Nishima. Nishima. One second. Nishima is an exhale breath. Nishama is a soul. So Nishma. Nishmat is the word soul connected to another word that's uh, called snichut in Hebrew, 
When you have words that are connected to each other, they sometimes change a little bit. So it's ha-neshama, ha-neshama, like nishmat kol chai means the soul of all living. So if you say that expanded, ha-neshama, the soul, shell of kol chai, all living, ha-neshama, shell kol chai, or nishmat kol chai, it's a contraction. Like, for example, the famous one that always comes to mind is uh, school in Hebrew. The word is Beit Sefer, the house of the book. So if you would say it uh, normally, it would be Habayit, the house, Shel HaSefer, the house of the book. But we everybody just calls it Beit Sefer. So if you were noticing, Bait and Beit are related, but not the exact same. Because when you do smichut, when you do connected, then you then it sometimes mostly switches. So nishmat is nishima shel or nishama shel. That's what it is. And I'm still looking for uh, that verse here. What verse is that, um, Debbie? Genesis verse. Pardon me. Verse seven. Verse seven. Two seven. The Yitzhak Adonai Adam, and God created. The man, afar min hadama, dust from the earth, by pah be apav nishmat adam, by pah. It doesn't say va 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 yinshom, va yinshof. It says va pah, and the root there is nafach, nun pechet. So here, it, it, the way the, the the Hebrew works is that the nun exists but is hidden, as it were. So it's in other words, it's like Vayimpach. Okay. Instead, it's Vayimpach. So, Hafacha uh, is very much like Nishima. I think that Nishima is more to exhale. I'm, I'm going to get rid of this. While Hafacha is to blow specifically for a reason. Okay. You feel the difference yeah. over here? So which one is it? So this is the for a reason. By pach. In other words, okay. God um, had kavana, he had intent to blow um, into the nostrils of man. So that's why that might be why it's by pach. Okay. So it's not the one I thought. Never mind. That was going to be cool. <laughs> so, like, can, you, can, can you condense that to... Uh, Something we can write down. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. 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 I like that because it wasn't like having to do... Yeah. Yes. Mm. 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 Yes. Okay. So we're talking about... Now let's go back to the book of Exodus. And um, we're talking about the um, the Hebrew midwives. But but it is beautiful because the continuation of that verse in uh, Genesis two seven and God created uh, the Lord God created man uh, dust from the earth and he intently blew into his nostrils nishmat chayim the soul or the breath of life. Okay, that's it. That's, that's the word I was looking for. So there you go. Okay, so it is that. <laughs> so we're going back to that for a second. Because that word, I, I believe, is connected to the word shem, which means name. And so when God was breathing breath into man, he was also breathing in his name. 
Okay, and we're going to learn what God's name is now here in Exodus, um, the yud heh vav but I love this idea, and I think it comes from the, um, the rabbis, that the very breath that we breathe is God's name, and so we would yud heh vav so we breathe in and exhale the name of God. I was talking before about, about the letters, how mm-hmm. the T and the D are in the same um, family. Mm-hmm. So the vowels in Hebrew, the, va- the vowel consonants, we'll call them, because some of you who know Hebrew, you know that the vowels are those dots above and in between the letters. So those are the A, E, I, O, U. But the breathy letters mm-hmm. are Eheve. Which are Aleph, Hey, Vav, and Yud. Which is really God, as you're trying to say over here, because you've got the Yud, K, Vav, K, the Yud, Hey, and Vav. And you also have the Aleph, as we will also maybe read today from this week's parsha, Asher God calls himself, I am what I will be, or I will be what I will be, or whatever I translated. So, those spiritual letters are, are God's letters, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I was going to say, Nishmat Adam, he intently blew into his nostrils the soul of life. Adam, and there, then, thereby, man became a nefesh chaya. So we have the word nishama and nefesh. I'm not sure what the difference is between this. Well, I think it's God's name. I think it has to do with God breathing his name into man, and he became a living soul. And it's like um, this idea. Later on, Noah, right, there was something that changed in that where we needed to be born again. So I, that's what I think it's relating. Um, I can't find my notes on it to go into more detail. <laughs> okay. But, <clears throat> okay. But let's move on to the next part, okay? So um, the midwives are saving the Hebrew children, and then we get this horrible edict by the Pharaoh to um, to throw the the male children into the Nile River. And this is also, this gives us a little kind of foreshadow of what is to come. As we read in the New Testament, um, whenever Yeshua was born, there was also Herod who gave a command. And what was that command, really? <laughs> All the boys under two. Um, because, again, trying to stop the seed, God's seed, from, from populating the earth to bring about his Messiah. And so this is the same, the same story that's happening over and over again. But we, we start, and so now in chapter 2, um, we see now here Moses is being born. So we learn from the beginning of this chapter that Moses, or Moshe, is um, a Levite. Okay? And we know that the Levites were chosen to be the priestly line. Um, and we see that Moses' mother hides Moses away um, because she sees that he's very beautiful and very special. Okay, and, and I think it's interesting here that she, and it says in verse 3, when she could no longer hide him, this could also mean um, pointing to the fact that later on when Torah is written down, we see this commandment in um, Leviticus concerning um, 
the appropriate amount of time that a woman needs to separate herself after she has a child to be ritually clean, and that for a girl, or for a boy, it's a shorter amount of time, and for a girl, it's a longer time. So it could be that she is following, she sees Moses as special, and she basically pretends that he is a girl, so that she can hide him away for the longer amount of time than if he were a male child. And so, but when that ritual time of being hidden away is over, she then now is taking Moses um, and she's going to put him in his tiny little ark. The Hebrew word that's used to create this basket that she makes um, is the same material used in Noah's ark. And that Hebrew word is also connected to the Hebrew word for atonement. Okay, which is very interesting. Um, it's um, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Okay, all of this is speaking of what symbolically is happening as Moses is going to be, you know, our, the Redeemer. And as we think of um, that ark, in a sense, was covered and it was like a, there was atonement there. Okay. Oh, kapara is what we're mm-hmm. talking about. That's a, that word does not seem to appear in our um, chapter, kapara. Are you kapara. sure? That is verse at least. What about verse three? The that's been verse three, and she could not um, hide him any longer. and she took for him uh, an ark, if you will, a basket, a word. Anyway, the word teva also means word. Gome, I think, are reeds. Batachmarna bachemar uvazafet and she uh, covered it or something like that with some kind of clay or something, some kind of uh, the black stuff, that tar. Yeah. And she put into it the boy. And she put it in, and she put into the reeds. She put it there on the on the beach, on the on the, on the edge of the Nile. So the word kaporet doesn't appear here, okay. but you but you mentioned Noah. Mm-hmm. So let's uh, see what God because I remembered that word. And Noah, Noah, Noah. Noah, that is uh, Genesis chapter five, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, chapter chapter five. Did somebody want to interject something? Uh, chapter five, verse fourteen. Very good you noticed that, or whoever noticed it and read it. No, there it says gofer, which is something else, I'm not sure what it is. And here it says gome. So, it, so it's not exactly the same thing, but she had it, but the servants of Teva. Kinim ta'aseta Teva, vechafauta ota mibay chutz bakofer. And you will cover it with kafal and cover already from inside and from outside with the the kofar material. So it it doesn't have it over here. Okay. But uh, it has it in Noah's. It certainly has it in Noah's. Okay. No problem. The 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 rabbis said that uh, she put in she made this little little boat for her son 
with chemar and zefet, which are bad smelling things, <laughs> but uh, uh, tar and I don't know what the other thing. Uh, but uh, it didn't bother me. It smells really good for him. That was like a little miracle. <laughs> <laughs> a little miracle. So what happens to Moshe as he's drifting among the reeds? He's picked up by the Pharaoh's daughter. And then we see Moses' sister very wisely say, should I find a Hebrew nurse for the baby? And so she ends up connecting Moses back with his mother. And so he gets nursed by his mother. Um, and then it says in verse... 23, going all the way down. Oh wait, actually, let's not. Let's let's go back. Okay. I'm going way back. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so verse 11. So Moses, she gets pulls Moses out of the water, but now we fast forward all the way to verse 11, which is Moses is now a grown man. Um, we can read in Acts chapter 2 as um, Stephen is actually talking about Moses and what he did. He says that Moses was 40 years old. I don't know if it says that here in the Torah. Just one second. Yeah. Acts? Acts chapter 7. I'm sorry. Acts 7. Okay, what verse? Um, the whole history of the Jewish people over in this chapter. <laughs> it is. What's <laughs> there? Moses was 40 years old, it says. This is fascinating. This is an interesting uh, chapter to uh, <laughs> learn together with this chapter. I'm gonna, with your permission. Even without your personal view. Uh, <laughs> um, in verse 17 in uh, Acts uh, 7, and it came to pass, right, when the promised time was coming close, that God swore promise to Abraham, and the nation grew, and it became multiplicity in Egypt. Until another king came up, like we read in uh, uh, verse uh, 6, probably, verse 8, I think. I'm reading from uh, Franz, Professor Franz Dewish's uh, um, Hebrew translation that uh, uh, he tried to make it. He tried to make it sound biblical, which makes a lot of sense. Now, it, I, I've been bothered recently by the absence of the actual source text of the New Testament. I've got a source text of the Old Testament. This Hebrew Bible that I'm holding, I believe, is exactly the Bible that was written in Hebrew by Moses and by Joshua and by Samuel and by uh, Mordechai. Every book here was written, and it's the same text. Uh, but the, the uh, but the the New Testament doesn't have something like that. Uh, now, some uh, biblical critics or, or academics might say, you know, with all the respect, you know, the oldest extant version of the Hebrew Bible is only like a fifteen hundred years old or something like that. Okay. 
But that's what I believe, and that's and, and we see Bibles all over the world, and, and, and I'm talking about what I believe here. But we don't even but you don't even have a a text that you can believe. This is the Bible that uh, that whoever canonized it about uh, the New Testament. This is it. What a holy writ this is, especially for the people who believe in what is it called, solo solaris or something like that, solo scriptura. People don't give me another thing. I just want the Bible. But you don't even have the Bible. Nobody has the Bible. You have is some translation. So is the translation holy? Maybe some people believe that. I don't know. But so I love this. I like this uh, version because it makes me. I can pretend that it is the original uh, New Testament, and I can relate to its words with the with the respect and and excitement that I relate to the words in the Old Testament. I believe that uh, a God. I believe I, I I follow the 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 rabbis' teachings that say, amongst millions of other things, that the uh, prophecy came to an end by the end of the first temple. There was no more prophecy after that. But I believe that that but that this prop that this book is prophecy. I am it is it's the book of prophet of prophecy. Prophecy means. God talking through man to other men, people through other people. So when I read the Bible, I'm listening to God talk to me in this. So I, so I, you know, I don't believe it, but you guys can believe it. And when, so when I read this, it, it uh, I, I'm excited to see how it's connected. So getting back, close, close parentheses. Uh, until another king came up that did not know Joseph. So that verse, which is Acts. 7, 18, 19, 18, 18, 18, 18, is clearly a, a paraphrasing or almost exactly the same as the verse that we read in 8, 1. Yeah? Here I would have maybe translated a little bit, a little bit different. That one, I said, in Hebrew, let us get smart with them, let us be wise or, or, or sly. To our family, who's, who's saying this over here? This is the Neum Astafan. Stephen. Stephen is saying that, whoever that is. And He's sorry. Oh my. Okay, we had a few before him. Uh, anyway. Well, he was one of your own. He was Jewish. <laughs> okay, my brother's name is Stephen, by the way. And so, this paro, um, as he wrote in the book of Exodus, uh, let us be let us be sly to them, to them, to the Jewish people. So he is saying that he was sly to us, to our family, and he made bad for our forefathers. And he commanded them to throw their young babes al throw them. That's fascinating. Throw them onto the the the, the field. It says over here. Maybe that's what he's talking about because 
the 22 part, and, and God commanded God. Para commanded all of his people not to the uh, not to the Shifran uh, to the to the midwives to all his people. Every son that will be born, throw him into the Nile, and let the, the let the girls live. So what happened before that? What did he say to the to the Mialdo? Maybe that's the answer to to this. Uh, in, in Ted Vav in, in, in 15, yeah, uh, in 16, and he said, When you give birth, I'm reading 16, and when you give birth, when you, when you help the Hebrew women give birth, and you will see on the birthing table or the birthing rock or whatever it is, if he's a, a boy, kill him, and if he's a girl, let her live. So what's with this throw the boys onto the face of the field? So if I had my uh, tools here, I would look up the verse that I think I'm remembering. Uh, uh, I think somewhere in, in, in one of the, the, the um, prophets is talking about thrown on the face of the field. So I would, I would connect that to that. That, that definitely... That verse is saying, "Hello, red flag. What's going on here?" When you when you learn it together, that's then you can't just keep on going. But we're going to keep on going. <laughs> and in that time, I'm now on to verse uh, twenty, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and in that time, Moses was born, and by he Elohim. I do believe that you skipped this uh, verse one. We can't get every I know, uh, but you invited me. Uh, and verse, <laughs> verse, uh, verse two. In uh, this is chapter two in Exodus, verse two. Batayisha and the woman became pregnant. Batele ben and she uh, gave birth to a boy. Batele oto and she saw him. Kitovu, she saw that he was good. And that is what Stephen here is saying. He told, and he was good. So he did a little midrash over here. He said, "What does tov mean? What does good mean?" Anybody here? Any? There's all women over here. Any women here have children? Did anybody here have a, a child who wasn't good? <laughs> they got more, oh, he's so beautiful, so beautiful. So what does that mean? And he was good. Oh, she's always beautiful. Oh, yeah, that, we really needed to write that in the Bible, like the, like if any such kid is born. So Stephen said what that means, he's told he, he is something special to God. Nice, nice one, Stephen. Okay? And I think and I think that, that other that other uh, Jewish um, commentators also uh, said something similar. Uh, the, the the Rashi there says the house was full of light when he was born. He, he emanated light. And he was in his house, I'm not sure what that means, it's Amun, three months, just like it says by us. But when he was thrown, oh, this is something very interesting. Stephen is saying that Moses actually was thrown onto the field. But uh, the field. He, was he wasn't thrown. He was he was put into a teva. This is fascinating over here. It says in our this translation says that he was put out of his home. Well that doesn't want to say it doesn't say the word home here. Okay. When, when he was previously in verse uh, 
in verse 17, 19, excuse me, he said, throw them on the field. Is that what you have over there? Well, R says out of their home, but we'd have to find the verse in the prophets that connects it. Anyway, so that's why he said, in yours it says in the, in the, out of the home, and by me it says uh, thrown out, uh, uh, ostensibly under the field. She Bat Paro gathered him, the, the daughter of the of the Paro gathered him, and she raised him like a son. And Vilumad Moshe time and Moshe Moses grew up uh, as the prince of Egypt, and he learned all of the wisdoms, all of the knowledge of Egypt. He but he was uh, he was a, 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 a superman in words and in deeds. When he was forty years old, When he was forty years old, it it it, it happened upon his heart to lifkod. They use the word here lifkod to remember his brothers, the children of Israel. This is interesting. Where he, this is fascinating, actually. Uh, by the way, yes, definitely. It was 40 years when he, uh, Jewish tradition also says that. Um, he saw one of his brother, right? He saw one person uh, for no reason being uh, persecuted. And he saved him. And he saved him. And he raised the vengeance of the persecuted one. That he hit the, the Egyptian. What are we up to over here? I mean, well, here's what's, as you're reading this, because, you know, Stephen is trying, he's talking, who is Stephen talking to? I think it's important to understand the uh -huh. context. Bye-bye. Bye -bye. Okay, it's important to understand the context. So Stephen is being persecuted, basically, by some unbelieving Jewish people who don't believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. So he's actually trying to, they're, they're wanting to stone him, okay, because they are offended by his words. And so here, Stephen is pleading, he's trying to get them to see, no, this is what our, the Torah and the prophets, this is what has been foretold by, you know, our people. And so he's trying to bring in this connection and say, no, it's all here. And so he's, he's telling, this is what Moses did. And so he's talking about, um, and this verse 25 where you stopped is actually very interesting. Because he says, he supposed, this is talking to Moses, so Moses goes and he sees one of his own being mistreated. And Moses supposed his brothers would understand that God was using him to rescue them, but they didn't understand. And so what Stephen is saying here is that this very same thing has happened again. That Yeshua was sent as the salvation, the deliverer of, of the Jewish people. But his brothers don't recognize why he was sent. Okay, Yeshua, he, Yeshua basically supposed his brothers would understand that God was using him to rescue them, but they didn't understand. That's a chiddush of Stephen. In other words, how does what is the proof in in uh, in uh, Exodus that that's what Moses thought? Well, what happens after in the book of Exodus is that what do what do Moses said, we don't know, I can't see it from that, but we do see the response of the men whenever Moses um, whenever Moses looks at them and, and later on, right? And they say, yeah, they're like, are you going to be our, who chose you to be our judge? Like they, they say, are you going to kill us like you mm -hmm. did? Are, you know, so there's, there's some sort of 
rejection or it, it actually reminds us of um, Joseph's brothers who appointed you to be our judge over okay and so there's some similarity there in, in the wording and what's happening and so Moses is fearful he's like oh I'm, I'm gonna be you know killed and so and Pharaoh didn't say that Moses will be killed but so Moses leaves okay and he flees to the desert but I love how Stephen is, is here trying to plead with with the people here that that Moses was foreshadowing the Messiah to come um, <clears throat> and actually this is what Stephen says right after this I, I went back and, and was quoting Exodus but Stephen quotes Exodus he says in verse 26 when he appeared the next day as they were fighting and he tried to make peace with them by saying men you are brothers why do you want to hurt each other the one who was mistreating his fellow pushed Moshe away and said, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me the way you killed the Egyptian yesterday? On hearing this, Moses fled the country and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. So we just we just said that. And then it says, after 40 more years. So Moses was in the desert for 40 years. Okay, that's a foreshadow of how long the children of Israel would be in the desert. And an angel appeared to him in the desert near Mount Sinai in the flames of a burning thorn bush. When Moshe saw this, he was amazed at the sight. And as he approached to get a better look, there came the voice of Adonai. Mm -hmm. He says, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But Moshe trembled with fear and didn't dare to look. Adonai said to him, take off your sandals because the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have seen clearly how my people are being oppressed in Egypt. I have heard their cry, and I have come down to rescue them, and now I will send you to Egypt. I love the language here because the, the idea of taking your sandals off is, is um, inheritance language. Um, it's covenant language okay, of what God was entering into with Moses and what he was about to ask him to do was about bringing his people to the mountain of covenant that we'll talk about here in a little bit. But this, this Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge, is the very one whom God sent both as ruler and ransomer by means of the angel that appeared to him in the thorn bush. This man led them out, performing miracles and signs in Egypt and the Red what Sea. Verse this is verse 36. This man led them out, performing miracles and signs in Egypt, at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moshe who said to the people of Israel, God will raise up a prophet like me from among your brothers. And this is important because in Deuteronomy, Moses actually prophesies about the greater prophet to come. Who Stephen is here trying to make the case that that was Yeshua, is what um, Moses was speaking about. And then the actual verse in Deuteronomy 18 says this, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. If anyone does not listen to my words, if the prophet speaks in my name, I myself will call him to account. So Moses prophesied that there is a greater prophet coming, that God will put his words in his mouth, and that those who don't follow his words will be held accountable. And that, that's important. And this whole idea of the mouth, is really important in this chapter, okay? The mouth, the Hebrew letter pay means mouth. And it's here in, in, in Exodus chapter 4, after God gives Moses this great um, assignment that Moses begins to question this. And he's like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't, he's like, I don't, I'm, he, he worries about his ability to do that. But we'll, we'll go back to that. I want to finish Acts. Okay, so at verse 38, it says, This is the man who was in the assembly in the wilderness 
accompanied by the angel that had spoken to him at Mount Sinai and by your fathers, the man who was given living words to pass on to us. Verse 39, but our fathers did not want to obey him. On the contrary, they rejected him and in their hearts turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make us some gods to lead us, because this Moshe who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. This was when they made an idol in the shape of a calf and offered a sacrifice to it and held a celebration in honor of what they had made with their own hands. So God turned away from them and gave them over to worship the stars, as it has been written in the book of the prophets. People of Israel, it was not to me that you offered slaughtered animals and sacrifices for 40 years in the wilderness. No, you carried the tent of Molech and the stars of your god, uh, Rathan. The idols you made so that you could worship them. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Babel. Do you want to keep reading? Like you go on. Okay. Our fathers, this is verse 44. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness. It had been made just as God, who spoke to Moshe, had ordered it made, according to the pattern of Moshe had seen. Later on, our fathers, who had received it, brought it in with Joshua when he, they took the land away from the nations that God drove out before them. So it was until the days of David, he enjoyed God's favor and asked if he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. And Solomon did build him a house. But the Lord Most High did not live in places made by hand. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, says the Lord, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house could you build for me? What kind of place could you divide, devise for my rest? Didn't I myself make all these things? Then he starts to rebuke them. Stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you continually oppose the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. You do the same things your fathers did. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who told in advance about the coming of the righteous one. He's Jewish himself? Yes. And now you have become his betrayers and murderers, you who receive the Torah as having been delivered by angels, but do not keep it. On hearing these things, they were cut to their hearts like the shofar. The words of God cut their hearts and ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Ruach HaKodesh, looked up to heaven and saw God's Shekinah, his glory, with Yeshua standing at the right hand of God. Look, he exclaimed, I see heaven opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they began yelling at the top of their voices so that they wouldn't have to hear him. And with one accord they rushed at him, threw him outside the city, and began stoning him. And the witnesses laid down their coats at the feet of the young man named Shaul, or Paul. Mm. And they were stoning him. Stephen called out to God, Lord Yeshua, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and shouted out, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. With that, he died. And Saul gave his approval to his murder. So Stephen does a good job of summarizing um, the, the history of the Jewish people, starting with Moses. Do you have any comments, Fido? Uh, the, uh, can you read again the end of verse 60 over there? Mm-hmm. And after he finished saying all these things, what is, what is your last word over there? With that, he died. Here it says, and then he went to sleep. Mm-hmm. And why does it say that, Lily? Why do you think? Well, what's the promise that we have? What's the hope that we have in Messiah? That we don't, we don't really die, die, right? We sleep because the resurrection is the hope of the yeah, resurrection. And I believe that's what that's talking about. Paul will talk about that in later um, mm-hmm. books he wrote about. He, he was falling asleep and he was talking about those things that had died. That's right. So it's just an idiom of phrase. Well. So thank you, Stephen, for your. Have you ever read that before? 
Well, I read something somewhere. <laughs> 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 My husband's name is Stephen. I'm going to go tell him all this. Oh, good. <laughs> awesome. And he's Jewish, so there you go. There you go. He probably doesn't know where he was. <laughs> That's awesome. You don't know how do you react to that? To what? Well, it's, it's out of context for me. The, in other words, for me to uh, just coming in the middle of the of the of the story of the movie wow it, it, it seems a little bit from what i understand they were they were saying let's uh, kill him they said just one second i have about 60 verses that i'd like to uh, make a speech now please listen and uh, then it, and then they uh, said okay have you spoken enough we're we're done with you but again i don't know who it was that he was done with and what the context of, of him getting there and uh, the, uh, re, the, the telling of the story of Jesus and his followers in the New Testament uh, is written in the way that it was written, but uh, another perspective, in other words, what were the sins uh, of, uh, of Jesus and of his followers? I don't know that, I don't know that uh, from the Jewish perspective, my Jewish perspective of Jesus' time and the dozens of years following his lifetime were the end of the Second Temple period. <coughs> the Jewish people has a very rich literary tradition of those years. But uh, it is parallel and uh, um, with with the Christian literary tradition of those years, this New Testament, we barely hear, we don't see that the, that history through the eyes of, of Jesus and his followers. From our perspective, there were a lot of other things going on at that time also. You follow what I'm saying? And so I don't know, I'm not a, a, a I don't know nearly enough about that period that I'd like to. For all I know, they were uh, there were numerous uh, um, Jews with different ideas, uh, different leaders. There were the, the different Jewish uh, groups, the Essenes, the, the uh, Pharisees, the, 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 the Sadducees, all those people. And there were probably dozens more. I don't know how many more. So this might have been happening in, 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 um, in different theaters with other, not, uh, not Jesus, but with somebody else. And not to mention that this whole thing was, was theater because the Romans were about to kill all the Jews anyway. So uh, this is one story that uh, uh, I, I'm not, again, I, I was re recently asked, I don't know how recent, what, if you get a time machine, where would you like to go back? I said, I'd love to go back to the end of the Second Temple, because that was the crucible, that was exactly the time when modern Judaism was being birthed and modern Christianity was being birthed. Modern Christianity was being birthed and Judaism was being birthed. And I don't know where I would be in that time. I don't know. It's fascinating to me. Fascinating. To me. It's a real, uh, but uh, this, this story, you know, it was happening, there was Stephen. How many people were around him? 100,000. How many Jews were in uh, in the land of Israel at that time? Millions. So uh, 
I don't know how much this story got, uh, you know, was tweeted all over uh, Israel at the time. I don't know how many people knew it at the time. And, and oh, another another um, blasphemer was killed. Okay, and and the and the the leaders of the Jews that time might have been. I don't know. It's not. I'm not familiar with this uh, with with this tradition so much. Like I said, I I, I haven't studied it enough. But uh, they might have been killing blasphemers left and right over there. The difference, though, is this story has been tweeted or blasted. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> so. But you know what I love about your perspective? And it's the same mindset we're all supposed to have. What you said in response to Cynthia was, where is your pretext? Mm -hmm. And so you're going back to Torah, you're going back to God's Word, and comparing what you're hearing with what does it say? What does it say here? This is my this is my guideline. Mm -hmm. This is my plumb line. And that's my Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Can you explain what you're reading from again? Once again. You said that's like the purest it's not. I don't think it is. I, I, obviously, it's it isn't. It's it's a. a, a I, fa I found this once. I was walking through Jerusalem in the Christ Church, actually. If anybody's ever been there near the near the, the Jaffa Gate, and I was in there for some reason, and they had a whole uh, shelf full of these, and it said, "Take one." So I took one, <laughs> and I and and. I most like reading it in this translation because what's because Mali what, what I, I hope I'm not offending anyone here that I think that a, a translation is a translation what this guy King what was his name King James was, was, was he a prophet and so it wasn't even him I don't think that he did the translation he, he assigned somebody to do the translation and so this translation is all and now I go on to Bible Hut and there's 16 different translations so okay, most of it is the same, but from here and there you get different things, and you gotta wonder what does that mean. So, pardon me. It's because they're all trying to translate Hebrew and Greek, and that's why we love going back to the Hebrew to to find out what does that mean. What does it really mean? So, so I I have the the Hebrew Bible, the, the Old Testament that I that I believe in and I love and I relate to. Uh, as a holy document, each and every word, and I'm, I guess, projecting myself to for as as let's I'm putting myself in my Christian's friend's shoes. I'm me in your shoes. Okay, so if I would believe in the New Testament, I would believe in it with the same reverence that I believe in the Old Testament. And I, 40 years in Israel, my Hebrew is pretty good. And I can read, like my kids, God's word in the original. So I want to, and I, I just uh, was in Tulsa. I don't know if anybody's heard of uh, Professor Brad Young. Yeah, a lot of people know. So, uh, so I was trying to get this. And said, so what is the original New Testament? So he's got his opinion or his knowledge, whatever he, he would say. It's not opinion. It's obvious that it's that's in Greek. And I am also, I, I thought I heard that some uh, Christian scholars or Christian studiers said, no, the original is in Hebrew. There's another gentleman that I once met, and I, and I get his emails, but I delete him, you know. But his, his name is Ellie Skorkenberg or something like that. Anybody ever uh, heard of him? All right, I, uh, whatever. I think that he 
says that the original was written in Hebrew, which seems to me that it makes sense because our uh, documents from this time period are the Mishnah, and they were written in Hebrew. So why would this Jewish document from the same period not be written in Hebrew? Seems to make sense to me. So I don't know, I haven't learned enough about Professor Delitz, who I don't even know if he was Jewish, but he knew Hebrew, knew Biblical Hebrew, which at that time was the only Hebrew that there was, and he uh, um, created a version of the New Testament in Hebrew, and Biblical Hebrew. What you got there? I have the, at least the Gospels. So you got the Gospels, and this has got the whole thing over here. So, so uh, I... I'm telling you how to spell the name and try to find it. Yeah. So this so, one has all of it. This is in Israel. But it probably, I don't know if it's the, if it's Delich. the same. Um, well, look at it. Who translated that? Let me here. see. And I have one too, a whole one, but I'm not sure which translation uh, it is. I think that one is. Uh, Am I looking on the wrong side? Bible Society. I can't wait to go back there and talk to my friends over there. <laughs> Hebrew Old Testament text, Biblia Hebraica Stuttgartensia, edited by Carl Ellinger, Willem Rudolph, 5th edition, 1977 and 1997. I'm, I'm reading this one, I don't know if uh, how different it is or whatever. Bigger letters, whatever. <laughs> but, uh, that's, but that's what I'm pretending, I'm, I'm fooling myself. Into into reading this with the same reverence as I read this, and saying uh, if there's a word here that seems weird, then there must be a reason. It's it's the Bible, etc. But as we see, there are two different translations as it is, so it's tough. But I'm I'm just trying. <laughs> but I think you're right. When you, go ahead, Dan. Isn't there a great deal of the New Testament that's quoted? Yes. Yeah, yes. And, and that's actually what I like about this uh, version also. Uh, you heard the Red Letter Bible um, uses a red font for all of Jesus whenever, and Jesus said or something like that. This Bible uses a bold font whenever it's quoting the Old Testament. So about half of it, uh, or three quarters of it, is bold font. <laughs> yeah, sure. This is Lily. I gave. Um, I know. Okay. Yeah, I know about that. that for her Okay, guys. Any questions or thoughts as we are going to need to come to an end here soon? But yes. Um, I do have a question we haven't gotten to yet. Okay. It's um, I don't know why I have no clue about this, hmm. but it is uh, when Moses returns to Egypt. So yeah, four and then. So there's 21 uh, through 22, or through 23. Chapter 4, 21 through 23? Yes. And then it goes on to 24, which yeah. I don't get this. First of all, the end of 20. Chapter 4, 21 says, through 23? Yes. It says, And I said to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. And then it goes down to. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord <laughs> met him and stopped to put him to death. And then Moses' wife took a flint, cut her son's foreskin. It says over there, and Moses' wife? Well, Ah, you, you didn't want to read that. Okay, yeah, okay, good. I thought they edited that word out. <laughs> no, I, I edited it myself. Um, 
touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. I do not understand this section. And then she said, uh, A bridegroom of blood for the circumciser woman. My, my part is, I don't get Does it say that God went to kill Moses? Sure looks like it. So I, must, I don't understand this part. I can't use the one. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't prepare for tonight. I didn't think we'd make it to that. <laughs> so I'll, I'll give it a go at it. Okay. Okay. So, but you have to read it within the context of all chapter four, because here, you know, well, first off, can I want to go back just a minute because in chapter three we have a very important revelation that God gives to Moshe about his name. Um, he says about God's God's name. name. Yeah. And I want to just read um, in verse fifteen. He says, God says. Uh, no. Exodus chapter 3, verse 15. Verse 15. Yes. So God said further to Moshe, Say this to the people of Israel, Yudhe Adonai, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I'm to remember, be remembered generation after generation. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I want to say this is because God chose that this would be his sacred name and that this was the name that every generation was to know. And so I think this is significant because as we study the Hebrew letters, remember what these letters mean. Okay, yud Hey vav Hey, Basically, behold the hand, behold the nail. Okay? Now as we, as what do, what do you guys think of when you hear behold the hand, behold the nail? Pierce hands. Yeah. Um, and so God was, I believe that that again was a foreshadow to how God was going to deliver us from our own sin, which is Egypt is a picture of that through the nailed hands of Yeshua. That God even says in, in, in the book of Psalms that I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. What does that have to do with the Lord trying to kill Moses? Nothing. Okay. <laughs> I just wanted I wanted to go back before we got to that. Yeah, nothing has a that's nothing to do with God when he comes Moses. So I think that that's really profound that that's how God reveals Himself. What was that again? It means hand. Behold the hand. Behold the hand. Yud is the tenth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. All of the name, all of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet uh, have a uh, a, 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 a meaning. Because they developed from pictographs or whatever you call it. So like Aleph is the first letter and it, it, it is related to uh, um, Aluf, which is a general. And Bet is a house, Bait, Bet Sefer. Gimel is like a camel or a giver. Dalit is like a door, Delit, etc. Yud is a hand. And Hey... Nice to reveal. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, hey means like, hey lecha. Here, t- take a look and see. Yeah. Like we yeah. said. And vav is not so much a nail. It's it's a, a peg, I guess, uh, um, to to be hung upon. That's that's it's a when you when you're in the bathroom you hang your your a hook. Yeah. So that's that's more like it. So 
So it's that's like, even more accurate than yeah, a nail, really. Yeah, so it's a hook, a nail, but it's this connecting. And when we, we understand that the vav is like, the, it was the same word used to connect the tabernacle or the, uh, the tabernacle to the earth. So it's like connecting heaven to earth is really what that's a picture of. So behold the hand, behold the nail, or behold the connector, the um, hook, however we want to see that. So I think that's very profound. Um, so then we move on to chapter four. There's so many much we can't talk about, but chapter four, we're talking about Moses now kind of arguing with God. As God gives him this assignment to be the deliverer, Moses is now saying, but wait a second. And it's interesting because in chapter three, when God calls out to Moses, Moses said, Hineni. He said that, that profound word that means everything that you say, I'm going to be in agreement with and I'm going to do. So he was there with a willing heart. And then God says, I want you to go and deliver my people out. He called his bluff. Yeah. <laughs> and so Moses like, wait a second. And so Moses starts giving all of these excuses. Like, I don't know that I can do this. But God gives him some um, proofs, I guess some signs, signs. of what's going to happen. Um, and the, well, the first sign, this is actually again in chapter 3. He says that your sign that I have sent, this is verse um, 12. Your sign that I have sent you will be that when you have led the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Is it true that in the Jewish tradition we believe this is Mount Sinai? Where Moses connects with God right here? Sure. Sure. Okay, the burning bush um, is the mountain where um, where Moses connects with God. Um, is possibly Mount Sinai, which if this is what God promises, that when you lead your people out of Egypt, eventually you're going to come back to this mountain. And what happens on Mount Sinai is profound and significant. Oh that's where God has this covenant Really, um, this consummation of his covenant with his people. This is where God gives the Torah. This is where his presence comes down. This is where we have flashes of lightning and thunder. And, and, and later on in, this, in these couple chapters, Moses, as he approaches Pharaoh and says, I need to let me take the people out so they can worship God in the desert. It also says that they can have a festival. And that festival that they're talking about is the festival in Hebrew, it's Shavuot. In, in the Greek, we call it Pentecost. But that was the first time when you have the presence of God coming down in such a way with thunder and lightning and power and smoke and the shofar blast and the sound. It's the very same imagery that we get in Acts chapter 2 of this imagery of this um, very powerful and profound shaking of the earth where we have this consummation of God bringing the Torah to the people and the people of Israel saying, yes, everything that we you say we will do and we will hear. Okay, and so it's this connecting point. And this is very, this was again, what I believe is a foreshadow of what is to come on that. And it's actually the very exact same day on the Hebrew, this was the, the sixth of Sivan when this happened, that many thousands of years later, in Acts chapter two, we read about this same day on the sixth of Sivan, when the appointed time has come, that we have another shaking. We have a, the, the promise that of the Holy Spirit coming to fill the people. So, it, so this is the, um, the the very first time we see the, the Pentecost, basically. This was the first, what I love to say, Pentecost. In Hebrew, it's Shavuot. Mm -hmm. It's God's Spirit coming down and connecting with the people in the consummation of filling them up with power. So <clears throat> now moving on to chapter 4, which I will eventually get to Moses' question. Because what we see now in Moses' heart is that he wasn't really ready. 
He said Hanani, but he has all of these questions and he has all of these excuses. And so he begins to, so God says, what's in your hand? Moses is carrying a staff because Moses is a shepherd at this time. Um, and so God says, throw it down and the staff becomes a snake, um, a serpent, which is interesting because this staff that Moses held represented his livelihood. This is what he, you know, this is how he earned his living. This is, I don't know if he actually earned money, but this was his livelihood. But God said, throw that down. You're not doing this in your own strength. Throw it down to the ground. Moses kind of recoils. And then God says, now pick it up. And now it becomes, instead of a staff, you can read in verse 17, God says, take the staff. This now you have in your hand the power of God. You're throwing down what you think you're going to do in your own strength. And when you pick this back up, this staff you're going to use, and this staff is what's going to be used to part the Red Sea and to, to bring about all of the signs and wonders in God's name. And so the second thing that Moses said, the sign that God gives him is the leprosy in his hand. He comes out um, clean. White. White. Mm -hmm, white. But then, verse 10, Moses says, but I'm a terrible speaker. He's worried about how he's going to be able to communicate to the people. And this is where that letter pay, I think, is important here, because the Hebrew letter pay, we're talking a lot about the letters, but they're, they're so packed with meaning. That letter pay means mouth. And this is actually, you know, God says, I'm going to put my words in your mouth. Moses, you don't have to speak. I'm going to put living words inside your mouth, and you're going to declare what I want you to declare. You're going to speak forth and prophesy. Even as you say, let my people go, that becomes this, this powerful living word that will eventually set the people free. Okay, So Moses is going to declare um, using God's words and God's um, God's going to speak through Moses. Um, and then <clears throat> Moses, I don't know that Moses is really convinced. Okay? And I think that's where this comes into play because because outward circumcision should be a representation of an inward reality because what God is after is a circumcision of the heart. Okay? And so the outward sign of covenant should be an inward reality of the heart. And so Moses hadn't circumcised his children. And that's a big deal because that's the sign of God's covenant. Okay, that's showing that you are in alignment, that you believe, that you're you're ready to, to carry this on to the next generation. But Moses hadn't done that. He hadn't circumcised his own children. And so I believe at that point, you, you're seeing what's inside Moses' heart, that he hadn't yet made that circumcision of his own heart and trusted God fully. And so God, apparently, from what I'm reading into this, somehow his wife understands this truth and this reality, and she does it. She's well, she, she's a descendant of Abraham. Too. She is. She's from his second wife. And totally. so she and from a from a place where people had great, profound respect for Abraham mm -hmm. and and for his God. Mm -hmm. And so and we see that later when her father when we see it in the in the meaning of his name and we see it when he shows up later and advises Moses that he is a God-fearing man who respects the, the God of Jacob. Mm -hmm. And so I think she knows she gets it. Mm -hmm. I, I think she's angry. You know, like, look at what you're doing. You're off on this mission for God, and you haven't even done the basics here. Mm -hmm. So that's my attempt at explaining for that time, for sure. I would uh, like to introduce, if people haven't heard, and I'll bet you 
have already. There's a website called Sepharia, S-E-F-A-R-I-A dot O-R-G, which uh, is, uh, has many, and they're aiming to get all Jewish texts online in uh, English translation. So if you look up that verse, or those verses, you will be able to click on the verse, and on the side it'll say, okay, we have 45 different uh, commentaries over here. And then you can, uh, some of them are not yet translated into English, but what you got over there will be a good start problem. Could you Sure. S-E-F, like in uh, France, S-E-F, A-R-I-A, sefaria.org. I love Moses' relationship with the Lord because, you know, God was serious about that. But we see later on in other scriptures how close Moses and God are because Moses spends 40 days in an intimate encounter with God on the mountain twice. But in Numbers chapter 12, verse 7, um, it says, Hear now my words. This is the Lord speaking. Numbers. Numbers 12, 7. It says, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him, I will speak pay to pay, mouth to mouth even openly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. So he literally spoke mouth to mouth to Moses, which I think that is so profound. And I think it connects to the idea that God was literally, I'm putting my words in your mouth, Moses. You don't have to fear. I'm going to go before you. I'm going to go with you. And as you go to deliver the people out of Egypt, I'm with you. And I'm and actually, it's not even Moses that speaks. Who speaks? Aaron. Yes. So God brings Aaron, and this is interesting what he says about Aaron, because he says to, um, their relationship is so interesting. Um, he says, um, where is it? What do you, what do you want where it talks it? about how Aaron will be the mouth and Moses will be like God. Yeah, that's, that's Yeah, verse, 14, verse 15 of chapter 4. He says, You will speak to him, to Aaron, and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and his teaching, um, with, with your mouth and his, teaching you both what to do. Thus he will be your spokesman to the people, and effect for you, he will be a mouth, a pay, and for him, you will be like God. I just think that's a very interesting relationship there, as, as Aaron basically is the voice as Moses is the one behind him instructing. And, and so we always just think of Moses doing all this, but it was really the two of them together. And they, they were to be the two or one really in this instance. Mm -hmm. So very interesting. And so they, they go off, they eventually make it to Egypt to go rescue the people. Um, and they gather all the leaders together. I'm now in verse 30. And it says, Aaron it's said, chapter, chapter five, Aaron said everything the Lord had told Moses, who then performed the signs for the people to see. The people believed when they heard chapter 4, chapter four. verse 31. 
31. So they performed the signs, and the people believed. And when they heard that Adonai had remembered the people of Israel and seen how they were oppressed, they bowed their heads and worshipped. So a God's faithfulness to remember his people. And I think it's interesting. They had to see the signs to believe. Like God knew that they would need to see that confirmation that he had indeed come. But then we know what happens in chapter 5. That, um, that Pharaoh actually responds, his heart is hardened, and instead of releasing the people, he actually gives them more work to do. And so then the people get very upset and angry because now they're thinking, what have you done, Moses? Why did you come at all? In fact, they said um, in verse 22, Moses returned to the Lord, and he, said, and he said to Adonai, why have you treated this people so terribly? What has been the value of sending me? For ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has dealt terribly with his people, and you haven't rescued your people at all. So Moses is questioning his own calling. Why am I here? Why am I doing this? And Adonai said to Moshe, and this is the last verse of this portion, Now you will see what I am going to do to Pharaoh. With a mighty hand he will send them off. With force he will drive them from the land. So we end this chapter with a lot of anticipation that's about to happen, because God's about to step in in a mighty way. One last thing I want to say about Pharaoh. Um, what's, how do you spell uh, Pharaoh? Hey, Reish, Ayin, Hey. Hey, Reish, Ayin, Hey. So uh, what is the the first and the last letter? What does it hey. spell? Pay. What does pay mean? Um, what is the Reish in the rock, Bad. Evil. Bad. So his mouth spoke evil. But Moses' mouth declared the word of the Lord. And so you see this contrast there. I wanted to, I wanted to dwell on that, but I wanted to say this also. <laughs> That you said the last verse of this week's uh, portion, and you're right, is uh, actually chapter 6, verse 1. Now, uh, if anybody's ever seen inside a, a Torah scroll, and it's like that in uh, this printed version, there are hafsakot, there are pauses in between uh, passages in the Bible. They're either satum or patuach. They're open or, or relatively closed, these openings. And as you can might be able to see over here in all this text, there's a white space here. Can you all see that? Mm-hmm. So that goes to the end of the line. And here, there's a space that doesn't go to the end of the line. It's just a, a few uh, characters length. And, and, and it starts over here. So this is the, the real way, the be, I think, the better way to, to uh, um, encounter the text, because that is a more, a more ancient, in fact, it is part, we believe, of the actual Torah that was written, these, these pauses. While the uh, chapter and versification of the Old Testament astoundingly that the Jew, we Jews know this but we're not as uh, uh, most of us like 99% of us are, are not as uh, amazed and maybe even offended at it, that the the uh, um, numbers of the chapters and the verses were a Christian invention and so it has to be asked Mr. Mr. Christian who invented the, the chapterization of the end of this week's Parsha, what did you do? Didn't you see that the, the, the writing ended 
at this last verse that we read. Why did you end chapter 5 and not keep it going for, uh, with 23 verses? Why do you make it 24 verses and then start the next chapter over there? I have no answer. I haven't uh, said that. But that, that, that happens a, a few times. And sometimes, this, this time, uh, again, it's pretty late. We're not going to start thinking about that question. But sometimes it's like really clear that if you do it that way, then it lends more to a Christian understanding of the of the scripture. And if you do it this way, I got it. What happens in the New Testament, too? We get verses that are marked like right in the middle of the sentence. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, periods in the middle of a verse. And so Not here. He, he didn't do that here like that. Well, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but Moses, I mean, uh, the Lord ends with hope and with um, the message that, you know, just... Just keep trusting, because as the other part of the um, portion is, is reading Jeremiah chapter 1, and this is where it says that God watches over his word to perform it. And so God has made a promise to his people, um, and, and God makes promises to all of us. And so if God has promised you something, and, it, and it's getting it's gotten worse than what you thought it would be, I think this, the, what we can take away for our own, and apply to our own life is that, you know, Moses and Aaron were sent to deliver the people, but it was getting worse. And God spoke and made a promise, but it was getting worse. And so it was easy in that place to become discouraged and to lose heart. But to God, try to stone Moses. Yeah, to try to stone <laughs> Moses. But to trust that God watches over his word to perform it. And that if God said it, it will come to pass. Nothing can stop the word of God. It, it accomplishes the purpose that it's sent forth to do. And so I believe that tonight as God's word has gone forth in your heart, and I believe that in the circumstances of your life where you are in a, maybe you're in a dark place, but God has promised something, trust that he will be faithful to complete that work in you and bring about what he's promised. Amen. In that verse that something just said, in my understanding. Which verse? In Jeremiah. Jeremiah. That God will look up and he'll watch over his word to perform it. It's the same thing that I think of. When comparing the Old Testament to the New, how do we know that this was actually supposed to be part of the Bible and how it's changed over the years and all of that? Ultimately, God is above and over all of that as well, and if it is representing Him, He is going to watch over His Word to make sure that it says what He intends it to say. I feel like um, reading something out of the um, Jeremiah 31. One second. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's go 31. And it's just connecting. Um, I'll feel the obvious way it's connecting, but just writing to what I have in my heart. Which verse? Verse 30. Behold, days are coming, it is a declaration of Adonai, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. It is a declaration of Adonai. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. It is a declaration of Adonai. I will put my Torah within them. Yes, I will write it on their heart. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Mm-hmm. 
no longer will each teach his neighbor or each his brother, saying, No, I am not, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, in the declaration of I am For I will forgive their iniquity, their sin, I will remember no more. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Any last thoughts and questions? Thank you, good job. Thank you. Thank you. See you in 90 days. (laughs) (laughs) I just think it's it's like we read um, at the beginning of the class, seeing you two interact with one another um, and your vision to reach out to the Christians and build a bridge and bring the light to the Gentiles. And then you have the counterpart here. It's just truly an extraordinary picture to see the two be teaching God that side. It touches my heart so deeply. I think so. I agree. You're a precious man. Thank you. He's answered the call of God so faithfully. We really, really, really deeply appreciate you. Well, thank you very much. I I uh, hope that uh, you're speaking for more than just yourself when you say we. <laughs> and uh, and uh, you empower me. You all empower me to continue with what I'm doing. I really feel uh, before I started all this kind of stuff, I I was a religious person, as I described in the, in the early in uh, earlier this evening. But uh, my understanding of religion was follow God's laws. And this idea of uh, <clears throat> God put something on your heart, was some, that was a Christian kind of thing. <laughs> but I really felt that uh, God had put on my heart uh, to move to Israel. There were very few Jews who moved to Israel. There are, especially from the United States, from New York especially, but uh, God revealed to, revealed to me, shined on my soul what he's shining on everybody's soul, but somehow what the, the, the klipa, the scales that were on my heart, was, uh, was shakier. So that, that uh, message came through to me with joy. And uh, fast forward a couple of decades... This uh, uh, message that I can only believe that it's God that it's putting on me because I'm reading the same Bible that all my friends are reading and I'm getting this message and it's not like in one day. It's not like uh, I came from nowhere. I've been working on this. God has been working on me for a long time. I don't know when I tell that story about the ICJ and the and the, 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 the uh, degree in Jewish history from the street signs, that I don't remember if it was in uh, 1982 or 1984, but that's about what it was. So it took a long time for me to get where I am, and I'm pushing the envelope more and more every time. And I'm hoping that, uh, and I'm believing that uh, God will maybe uh, do a little, uh, just like you ended the story, how maybe things will get a little worse before they get better. But I really believe that uh, that uh, the vision that I have and that I'm sharing with uh, with people who are stepping up and saying I want to be part of this vision also um, is uh, going to uh, to come about uh, speedily in our days. Amen.
Thank you. Thank you, ladies.